Okay, everybody, this is Andrew coming at you once again. This is the Superhouse Podcast, and I have a very special guest with us this week. His name is Luke Piotrowski? Piotrowski. Piotrowski. Okay. You got (laughs) it. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, so uh, Luke is a screenwriter, mainly a screenwriter, right? Yeah, uh, with my partner, Ben Collins, who some of you may know. (laughs) If you've seen any of my work then you've seen his work as well yeah you guys seem to be a team right yeah always always together <laughs> except except for now like this is kind of strange to not have my uh uh support uh buddy here so yeah we'll see how yeah. it goes i actually asked to be on sync ratios or he has another podcast too right cahoots or something yeah he does that one that he does with kate devaney uh i haven't been on that one either so and he was he, I, I asked to come on one of those podcasts, and he asked me to if I had seen the uh, the latest Evangelion, um, the trailer at MA Expo or something like that, uh-huh, and, I, uh-huh. and I hadn't. So, I, uh, I guess it's just still waiting on uh, the right opportunity for for me to come on to, to that one. But <laughs> well, anyway. are you are you a Evangelion guy? Are you a, are you a fan? I am, but I'm recent. Like I grew up really liking Japanese stuff and everything, but uh-huh. I'm just now really watching the show. I I'm oh, tw- shit. I'm on episode 19 right now, actually. Oh, okay. So you're you're just getting into it. Like you're getting you're yeah. just went over the tipping point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just now getting into like the real existential stuff. Yeah. So oh, you're you're in for it. Well, yeah. I mean, for sure. We should we should have you on at some point i know we're, we want to do the rebuild movies um which are sort of a separate continuity and uh yeah maybe what we is, can work something out is there like one season and then there's like a bunch of movies after that uh for evangelion it's pretty it's it's a lot simpler than it may seem when you start looking for stuff uh, okay. especially today with with netflix because you've yeah. got the series which is 26 episodes yeah and that's all on netflix and then there's a recap movie that's on Netflix that's called Death. Even okay. really, I think it's like Death True 2. And okay. that's all footage you've seen before if you've watched the Netflix version. Um, and then there's End of Evangelion, which is sort of the climax of the whole series. And that's pretty much all you need. That covers everything. You're not going to – there's no footage that you're really missing out on. Like that's that's it. Okay. From that point, there's – the rebuild movies that came years and years later that's sort of like a a, basically a reboot of the whole thing so that's a new experience and that's been three movies released and there's a fourth one coming out but that's kind of like a whole other thing okay yeah it feels like i should have known about this stuff earlier i mean i I, like everybody knows me i've been like a been in japanese stuff since (laughs) since the beginning but it's just that that and dragon ball actually like i didn't grow up with that stuff man I, i rented I rented Dragon Ball GT before the internet. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, this sucks. And I never watched it again because I was like, man, Dragon Ball sucks because I didn't know the differences between the series. Mm-hmm. And apparently GT is so bad that's not even canon. They kicked it out. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's hilarious. So now I'm watching Dragon Ball Z Kai. Kai uh-huh. is this version that really uh what do you call it? Like takes out all the filler episodes and just it's just the core story. Oh, nice. I see. So I'm going through that now. I'm like, man, this is great. I should have watched this when I was a kid if I had the chance, but I just I just uh-huh. didn't, you know. So, so how did you end up getting into all of the sort of you know Japanese pop culture stuff? What was your window into that? 
I fucking love that you ask me questions too. It's usually, <laughs> it's just fucking great. Um, but yeah, uh, just, you know what? It was a combination of video games and anime. You know, oh, we're right. kids of the 90s, right? That's what Super Dark Times was at least in part. The, the setting was the 90s at least, right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. And like, so I'm assuming that you're the same age as us. Uh, probably I'm 38, so I was okay. born in 81. So yeah. you know, my childhood in the 80s, and then getting into teenage years was all 90s. Okay, I'm a slightly younger. I'm I was born in 84, so okay. So it's probably around Ben. Ben's a little bit younger than me, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're about the same age, but but yeah, it was just some combination of that. I mean, I completely missed the Atari age, mm -hmm. so American video games were pretty much done. And so the only thing we had was Nintendo and Sega. And so yeah, after playing, go ahead. Is is yeah, it, it it growing up in the '90s. If you were into video games, like all the good video games were from Japan, and and that's yeah. changed a little bit. You know, I I remember growing up with, you know, Final Fantasy. Like if you played role playing games, you were playing Japanese games, and it wasn't oh, really yeah. until like some of the Xbox stuff when we started getting. You know, like Mass Effect and uh, those kinds of games is like, oh, American RPGs started to, in some ways, eclipse them and offer a different kind of experience. But yeah, in terms of Japanese popular culture, I, I had sort of forgotten that video games were a huge window into all of that. Because if you were into that shit, <laughs> you were into Japanese storytelling and character types. And that really was such a powerful window for a lot of people. Yeah, and especially when you're when you're that age, and this is yeah, like, like you said, it was before Xbox, so th there was this time where it was literally just Japan making video games, basically, mm -hmm. unless you played on computer, which I did not because no, <laughs> my parents' philosophy and my philosophy was like, you got a Nintendo, okay, cool. Two years later, three years later, here's Super Nintendo. You know, it was just this. I wasn't going to go from Nintendo to a. PC, I guess. That just yeah, wasn't like I, our trajectory. A, a dedicated console. This is the machine that is made to play games and it can play them correctly without yeah, 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 yeah. constantly trying to like, oh no, I gotta get a new graphics card and like, oh my sound card's not good enough. I have to do this. Mom, dad, can I do this thing? Can I get and it was it was never certain. I just love I'm just too lazy and too dumb to like I need a machine that I can just put the disc in and it will play. I need to put the cartridge in and it'll play. I can't. I can't do all the ancillary stuff that you need to right. make PC gaming work. Dealing with like the drivers and all that, like especially as a kid, you're not going to really deal with that. I mean, maybe it's a good way to learn how to use a computer at an early age. But yeah, good, good, good for the people who did figure that shit out. But I was yeah. always, I <laughs> just, I wanted to be able to buy the machine that would play the games. So, yeah, yeah. My mom worked on her computer. We we would use it sometimes, but it was mainly yeah. The video games were video games, and the computer was my mom's machine. And we sometimes yeah. had games on that, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how'd you meet Collins? Uh, high school. There's a oh, weird. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, we met in high school, but I, I still, like I said, I was older, so I was a senior and he was a, a freshman, and we met in drama class. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I think he always tells the story that I was wearing an Evil Dead T-shirt, and that okay. was when, when he first approached me was to compliment like... me on my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, I do know the the first time that we hung out, he came to my house and we watched the the unedited VHS of Dead Alive, which he had never oh, nice. seen before and you know hadn't been able to to get. So yeah, <laughs> you're from Georgia then. Uh, I'm originally from outside of Chicago. So gotcha. Illinois, and then in sixth grade, nineteen ninety-three. So the year, the summer of Jurassic Park, oh, I moved. Shit. I moved to Georgia, uh, and uh, 
didn't meet him until a few years later in, in high school. That must have been such a shock for you to move to, you moved to like really middle of nowhere, Georgia, right? Um, it kind of was at the time. I mean, it was, you know, we were kind of middle of nowhere, Illinois in, in some respects, like we weren't uh, living in the city or anything. So it was a lateral move in, in terms of like scope of where I was yeah. living. Culturally, it was different. Weather wise, it was different. Um, I didn't exactly pick up on it, but I definitely was, you know, I didn't want to move. Just, you know, I had, I had a good <laughs> friend named, named Scott. It was like a, the guy who lived like right next door to me. And okay. he was, he was my buddy that, you know, I experienced all pop culture with and consuming all that stuff. And, you know, I had to kind of start from scratch and, uh, you know, I'm a nerd. So not <laughs> making friends, is not the easiest thing in the world for me. So it was, it was, it was rough. I do, I do remember because, because in Illinois, let's see, there was, was sixth grade, I guess. Sixth grade is elementary school. So you have your one teacher, you're in the one classroom. We moved halfway through the year, and in Georgia, it was middle school. So there's a locker that I have to go to and put my books in. I have classes I have to get to and a homeroom. It was like so, sixth to the ninth was middle school? Yeah, I think so. So see, Okay, mine was, like your, was mine was like Chicago and, style in Alabama, where I'm from originally. We had uh, sixth and seventh and eighth was middle school, and then ninth through twelve was high school in Georgia. Yeah. But yeah, in, in Illinois, it was, I think, seventh and eighth was middle. So it was a real, in addition to just like moving, it was like a whole new thing I had to learn, you know, how to be like sort of this middle school thing. I really hated it. And I had a, I had a novelization of Gremlins 2 that was with me. <laughs> and I left it on the bleachers in gym class. And I came back afterwards and somebody had like torn the book to shreds. And I saw like the remnants of my Gremlins 2 novelization, like scattered about the bleachers. And somebody had scrawled, what a bitchin' book on one of the pages. <laughs> oh my just, God. Like, like heartbroken, like, you know, coming to find your you know, like a coyote had eaten your dog or something. It's just like just scattered pieces. Uh, yeah, it was kind of tough in, in the, in that those times, if you were into anything nerdy, I remember like, if you talked about the X-Men cartoon or whatever the fuck at school, <laughs> or if you even it, everybody fucking played Mario 64 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I remember like, if you brought it up at all, people would be like, you fucking nerd. Don't talk to me. Basically. You know, it's like, <laughs> but I know a lot of those fucking dudes, mostly dudes anyway, some girls too, but, um, you know, were they'd go home and play it, you know, it's, yeah. but it was like just uncool to talk about it at school, you know? Sure. Well, yeah, everybody's got a front. I mean, yeah. I paid a weird picture. I, I wasn't bullied. Like <laughs> that makes it sound like I was just like constantly, uh, you know, a, a target of abuse. And, and I mostly avoided a lot of that, but it was harder yeah. to open up to people. And you definitely had that sort of like, you know, that secret handshake of like when you did find somebody who was into the same shit of like, okay, well, I'll, I'll try and quietly sit next to this person. And uh, <laughs> you had searching for your people in high school is definitely try to figure a thing. it out. Yeah. Did you go to SCAD? I went to SCAD for a year. That's the other funny thing. Cause uh, yeah, you, you and Ben went to SCAD at the same time, right? Yeah. That's how I know Ben. We had classes together and stuff. Yeah. See, that was the problem was, like I said, I'm not, not so great at socializing. So I graduated high school and, you know, Ben and I both into film, wanting to make movies, all that stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go to SCAD and I'll, I'll study film. You know, if you're going to study film, you kind of have to be able to network because it's not enough to 
just be there yourself. You're not accountable for just your own work. You have to be able to, okay, we've got to have a lighting guy and we've got to have a script guy. We've got to have actors. Right. We've got to have directors. We've got to have sound people. And you kind of have to build the team to get the projects done. And I was not great at doing that. So after spending about a year at SCAD studying film, I was like, I don't know if I got to do this. And I went <laughs> to Auburn University in oh, Alabama. <laughs> to That's where my dad went. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. Well, I went there because another friend of mine, Will Melton, who is, we can talk about him because he's the guy that got me into all the Japanese pop culture stuff, but but he oh, was nice. going there. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go Let me there. ask you a question about him. Did he have a polo shirt and some glasses that had the string around the back so he could wear them like a necklace? Why <laughs> does every fucking dude in Auburn wear that shit? He did not. We did okay. not. Yeah, it was weird. He just went there because his family had ties there. So it was okay. a generational thing. And you know how schools can sometimes be like, okay, because well, he wanted to go to SCAD with me. That was the, okay. the other thing. Uh, and it would have been a different story, I think, for both of us if we had been able to go to school together and we would have both yeah. been able to, you know, be each other's support and kind of help build the group around us. But we were separated <laughs> for this weird reason because he yeah. just had his private school was more expensive his family went to auburn and you know they wanted him to do that and ended up you know he ends up dropping out of school i ended up dropping out of scad to go study there um but by that point it's kind of like the damage was done but but i just wanted to study like literature where i could write papers you know yeah you yeah. see i became a screenwriter so it's like well, i want to be accountable for my own work and responsible for the quality of that and I, something I can do in isolation without having to deal with people until until that, that you know my job is done, and then then you work with other people, um, right? But yeah, so I ended up studying British literature there and getting my degree in that, and becoming a high school teacher for nine years, which was terrible. Oh and, shit! I did not know about all that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and thank God Ben graduated from SCAD, but you know he went there you know, several years after I was already gone. So again, that was another thing. Ben and I had been there at the same time. I think it would have been a different story, but I guess it all worked out because Ben graduated and came out here and actually, you know, started to, he had the, he had the connections and so yeah. he was able to kind of, okay, why don't you help me? Why don't we write some stuff together? And, uh, you know, the rest is history to some extent. Did you teach in Alabama? I taught almost in Alabama. I taught in LaGrange, Georgia, which is okay. like pretty close to the border. So, okay. yeah, right, right there. What was that like? Uh, <laughs> Terrible? It, was, it sounds like it was bad. It was bad. I mean, because you know, <laughs> I'm teaching, you know, Shakespeare, you know, I'm teaching British literature to, you know, kids in rural Georgia who don't really give a shit about Hamlet for the most part. Yeah. Um, I definitely spent most of my days just trying to get people to shut the hell up. Like it was, I, I never felt like I was teaching anything because it was just classroom management all day, every day of just, please guys, listen, shut up, get quiet. Let's focus. Can we do the reading and just, you know, babysitting what ages? Uh, well, it was high school. Uh, predominantly, I taught a lot of seniors. Okay. Um, I also had a speech, like a public speaking class, and that was all grades. That was 9 through 12. Okay. I did a little bit of uh, ninth grade literature, too, throughout the years. The public speaking might have been a little bit more fun, right? It was a slightly more fun because it was an elective, yeah. but it was definitely frustrating to have, you know, because it was an elective, people just didn't want to do the assignments you know it would just be like oh i just didn't do it and it's like it's just like 
a huge part of your grade. This is the project. This is like what we do in here. Like, yeah, it's fine. I don't want to do it. And I remember like, being in high school and we were studying like the Merchant of Venice or something. <laughs> and it was like the teacher also didn't know what the fuck it was about at all. Right. And she was just going through the motions. And I remember I was the kind of kid where if I found a word that I didn't understand, I would want to know immediately. And to, and again, if you're young, you don't know the pain of looking in a fucking dictionary because mm -hmm. you can just look on Siri and say, would define this word or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But, but it's used to be kind of an issue. And I remember like stopping the class and being like, Hey, what's a fortnight? I didn't know what a fortnight was. Uh -huh. Teacher didn't fucking know. Okay. Right. Nobody in the class knew. And it kind of blew my mind at the time that nobody wanted to fucking check what this word meant. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, it means two weeks, 14 nights. This is amazing. Good word. I like this word. And but it's like it's just like shit like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. I had a hard time with with actually with not just not Shakespeare, but in particular, but just I don't feel like I ever really had in Georgia and Alabama, I never had a teacher that really knew literature until uh -huh. college, I think. Nobody, mm. it seemed like nobody knew anything about books in general. Right. Well, yeah. And it was, it was hard, you know, like it is we, we, alarming to sort of find out just how much like, well, teachers were people. And and I was not like a, a bad kid, but there was definitely, you know, teachers, I mean, it was like female teachers I liked, I would like kind of give a hard time because I wanted the interaction is like having fun with them. And I thought like, oh, we have a fun rapport. It's like that teacher probably hated my guts because I was making things difficult in class. Oh, but, yeah. but, you know, like knowing about literature, I couldn't, there were, there were kids in my classes that I do definitely feel like I failed who were the smart kids that I could maybe have a conversation with. But, you know, I got 25 other shitheads in the room <laughs> that I have to deal with. So I can't engage with that kid. You know what I mean? I have yeah. to lower the bar to the lowest common denominator and it, you're supposed to do differentiation and all this stuff, but it's like, you know, it's just so impossible with that many people in the room. Yeah. So the kids that, that could, you know, keep up and actually learn something. I couldn't really focus on them. You know, the, it's the right. squeaky wheels that got all the grease, you know? And so it's just a classroom full of squeaky wheels and it's hard, <laughs> man. It was, it was rough. It was nine years of very emotionally taxing, you know, and I get it. They're going through shit too. And, you know, yeah. I understand their, yeah. their point of view of, um, you know, they don't care about some of the stuff and I wasn't the greatest teacher in the world, but yeah, yeah, man, what a miserable time. <laughs> oh my God. So you, you, you quit that and then you, thanks to Collins, you move out to Los Angeles. Yeah, pretty recently. It's only been about three years since I've been in LA. It was, it was a crazy thing. Cause I just being a little bit older and being in the South where everything happens much faster. Like people get married much faster and oh, yeah, people have yeah. kids so much faster. So by the time, you know, Ben was ready to move out, it was like, I was married. I had bought a house. Um, when we finished our first script, like our first script together, like fit, click save on the thing and then went to the hospital because my first child was being born. Oh my so, God, man. So for him, he was able to kind of like, he was, you know, his wife at the time, like they got married and moved out to LA like right away. And they yeah. were like, okay, that was the plan. But for me, it was like, oh shit, well, I've already built all this stuff. So it's a really difficult process of dismantling the bricks of, my career and my house and my wife and my family. And like, you know, so it was a, the slow process of, well, let's make sure we're making enough money that I can quit teaching and yeah. then we'll see how it goes. And then I can, we can still work bi-coastally here, 
but at least then I'm just making money from that. And then it was like, okay, are we making enough money for me to actually move to a place where the cost of living is ridiculously more expensive than it is in Georgia? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was definitely this kind of slow process, but I'm f finally out here and it looks like I'll be able to stay. <laughs> Can I ask you the general region of LA you're in? Uh, I'm in Santa Clarita. So I'm oh, okay, gotcha. sort of far out. Yeah. Okay. Where... Gotcha. Well, that's more family friendly out there though. Right. Yeah. And that was the idea. Like I didn't want to live right in the heart of the city with, with a couple of kids, you know, and you're like full on in a fucking writer's room every day. You're like, what is screenwriting life like right now? Well, it depends on what the job is. There's definitely been a couple of projects where we've had a writer's room, but it's been very short lived and kind of weird writer's rooms, like not the traditional TV show. Like that's your job nine to five. There was a three week stint on a project that we did. And there was a one week stint on a project that we did. Neither of which I should can really say much about, but yeah, for the most part, you know, it's, it's me and Ben and it's up to us. And, you know, initially it was a lot of writing scripts on spec. So it was writing, you know, like our movie, Stephanie, for example, yeah. was just something that, you know, Ben came up with an idea and he wrote it. Uh, Super Dark Times, another example, like, okay, these are just scripts that we write. And then we have these scripts, like with Stephanie, it's like, does anybody want to buy this script? And with our reps, we kind of shop it around and uh, it ended up at Blumhouse and, you know, Akiva Goldsman, you know, somehow crossed his desk and he was interested. And it's like, okay, well, we want to buy this script from you and then we'll make this movie. Like, okay. So you pay us for the work that we did, you know, what years ago, because <laughs> sometimes yeah. it takes years for these things. And then the other thing is assignment jobs, which is what we're doing a lot more of now is now that we've kind of made a name for ourselves. It's like, okay, we found this weird book from the seventies. We want to make it into a movie. We need writers. Does anybody yeah. have a take? They'll meet with us. We sit down. Okay. Well, yeah. We read this book. Here's our cool idea on how you do that as a movie. Oh, we like your idea. Okay. Then we'll pay you to write the script. So okay. then we get paid first and then we do the work. So there's different ways we can do it. And ideally we should be doing both, like having a, a back catalog of stuff that we generated ourselves that we can just sell. And then occasionally going after, you know, sitting down and pitching and getting paid to do the work. Okay. So it's a combination of those two ways to kind of keep ourselves afloat. And that's been uh, putting uh, bacon on the table since you've been out here pretty much. Pretty much. It was, it was, you know, this is the way these things go is like, I moved out here. We had like three projects going you know it's like these all oh, these three things are going to happen and then you know one of them we got kicked off from and you know they, they hired a writer director to kind of take it across the finish lines i'm not sure what's happening with that you know a, <laughs> a couple of them just like disappeared you know it's like, okay well it just never got made you know one of them was with a, a, a company that you know I don't want to say too much, but you know, like in the Me Too era, like there's like, okay, well, what does that mean with this project now that this thing has happened with this person? Oh yeah, so, I got gotcha. you. You know, stuff for one reason or another drops away. So we kind of came out here with like, okay, three movies are going to get made, and none of them ended up getting made. So it, you're like, last year it got a little bit scary of like, what are we going to do? And we're like trying to get these these jobs, assignment jobs, and you know, not getting anything. And then right at the end of the year, we kind of locked in like four jobs. And so ever since 2019 began, we've been working pretty hardcore on uh, a lot of those things. And that really took care of us. So we got, it got real, real lean and then it got real flush for a second. And we're definitely being careful to make sure that uh, 
I continue to live like a high school teacher, <laughs> no matter what what happens, so that we always have uh, a little money in the in the bank. Yeah. It's not as glamorous as it may seem, you know, like Super Dark Times comes out and, it, you know, hey, the movie looks cool. It's on Netflix. It's good looking. You know, it's a, it was made for a relatively modest budget, but it looks slick. And, you know, so people see it, it's like, oh, you guys must be successful. It's like, well, no, we'll never make money on that movie. Like, <laughs> we will we'll never really make any money on that movie. You're not you getting know? any uh, royalties from the amount of Netflix clicks, man. <laughs> I mean, we get like royalties checks that are like very, you know, small. It's, a, you know, it's just with that's 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 the nature of the business. You know, it, it seems like yeah. it's, you know, super glamorous, but it is, you know, uh, and for directors, even more so, you know, a lot of these directors that you see and you, you know, your favorite indie directors, it's like, they've, you know, it ain't easy. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, grade. they're not starving probably, but they're not doing great. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, it ain't all Hollywood parties, you know, <laughs> that shit I think is mainly, I think a lot of that's probably dead from the, at least died in the nineties, probably, man. Like, it seems like it's just, it's just, it's the entertainment industry. It's an yeah. industry, but it's, it's, it's entertainment, but it's still an industry. It's a fucking job. It's all it is. Yeah. And the music it's, business too. It's just, it's all changed so much. So there's so many people doing things on a, you know, on the small scale. It isn't like there's just like the, you know, the four big studios anymore, you know? Oh, it's, right. Yeah. There's so much content being produced. Um, and so yeah. it's great. a lot of people are getting opportunities, but a lot of stuff doesn't get seen. And, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, how do you monetize some of these things? And so, yeah. Well, they, they've been changed the most though, right? Because that's like, you have like everybody just downloading everything anyway, or if oh, they're yeah. not, I mean, they're like, just never... renting, renting it on iTunes and Spotify, which is fine. But it's like, I guess in some sense, at least they get, hopefully they get more money from their concerts. But like, I don't see anybody making any money off of CDs, man, no. or whatever you call it, like uh, iTunes sales. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just that time is dead. And then like Radio Play, what do you call it? Clearwater? What's their name? They yeah. they own, own yeah, Clear the Channel. It, Clear Channel. They own every radio station in America, yep. making it so vanilla across the board. Whereas like in the seventies and shit, it was like mom and pop organizations where they just played albums they liked. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. now it's just you know, completely different thing. And I mean, I've talked about this before, but like, it just seems like rock is dead too. Like there's, is there any popular rock band now? That's not Greta Van Fleet. That's just faking fucking um, <laughs> Led Zeppelin anyway. Like it seems like rock in general is completely dead. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it still lives on in like niche community, but it like, no, I don't, I mean, like whenever we were in high school, you know, there was at least those shitty bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit and stuff <laughs> that were that were rock and very popular. It was a very popular yeah. style of music. But now, like even even that genre, I guess for better or worse, you know, and well, everything's I'm, been yeah. so. Um, it's in, in some way, it's a it's a good thing because everybody has access to so much, but but it limits your exposure to things outside of your, your usual tastes to some yes. extent because everything's yes. been siphoned off to these. So people who listen to rock, well, they're still rock bands, but only they're, they, they don't blow up and dominate the culture. Like they maybe once did. They're just in these little niches and only people that are interested in that can find it, you know? So whatever your taste is, there's a way to access it, but that means only a small group of people find it. Whereas, you know, every, you know, water cooler television and stuff too. I mean, like I'm, I was kind of excited that we had that game of Thrones moment fairly recently where everybody was watching it and, you know, a lot of people yes. were bitching about it, but it was still like, you know, 
back in the day when you have your four major networks and okay, well, everybody just watches Friends because the Friends is on and there's a shared yeah. cultural thing going on. Um, and now it's sort of like, yeah, everything is available, but it just means, you know, like I used to buy albums yeah. and listen to the album and I might not like it at first, but it's like, well, I don't have any other albums. <laughs> like This is what I spent yeah. my, my yeah. $15 on, so I better keep listening to it. Yeah. And that kind of broadened my palette because I didn't, I couldn't just be immediately like, nah, I don't like that. Let me right, let right. the algorithm on Spotify tell me something else that's similar to what I just <laughs> listened to. And yeah. I'll just listen to that. Yeah. And then I kind of just get stuck in a loop and I end up only listening to what I think I like. And I'm never really exposed to anything that is different than what I think I like. Right. You know, my, my taste just stagnates. Um, yeah, I I agree entirely, and it's going to be interesting to see what what happens from here with all that stuff. Yeah, what uh, your uh, let's talk about super dark times for a second. What was the impetus for that? What inspired this? That was story? that was interesting, and in that that was Ben's Ben had a dream about. <laughs> I don't want to spoil super dark times necessarily, but he he had a dream about a kid getting his head cut off with a samurai sword. Okay, yeah, and uh, you know this was this was early days. Oh my computer's beeping at me because it's ben is texting me right now but um yeah he, and, you know we were we were trying to make spec scripts you know we we're trying to write scripts that we could take to studios and be like hey do you want to buy this do you want to make this so when he said i had this dream about a kid who's had got cut off with a samurai sword i think we should do that it's like dude no one wants to buy that movie it's like we're not doing that it's like i pretty much shot it down <laughs> i was like no <laughs> this is too weird and he went and wrote it anyway like a, a nice. draft in like a like a weekend or something like some really short amount of time it had gaps in it you know so it'd be like i don't know something like this happens here and he had that and he showed it to kevin phillips our mutual friend also scad alumnus um yep. who ended up directing the movie and it sort of was like you know kevin was doing he's a he was a, a dp and i think he might he's probably doing commercial stuff and videos and stuff at the time but hadn't done a feature yet and it sort of between the two of them became like, okay, if we do this as a movie, you should do this. So once there was a, you know, scriptment kind of a thing, it's like, okay, well, this is happening. So, okay, give it to me and let me spend, you know, a month or two with it, kind of exploring what I think is interesting about this and, you know, helping shape it into something that I am also interested in. And that kind of became the first like draft draft. And then there were lots of other drafts. Eventually Kevin did a whole pass himself. And then Ben and I came back in and shaped that. So it was this really like a, a big handoff over and over between a lot, the two of us, me and Ben, but also a little bit of Kevin in there as well um, and shaped it. But the impetus was just honestly this dream that he had. Uh, <laughs> so. I mean, I, I love that idea because, we keep talking about the nineties, but this movie is set in the nineties and it does feel like at that time, and maybe it's today too. I don't know. I haven't been in too many kids rooms these days, but uh -huh. you know, it was, you would definitely like know somebody or you'd be that kid that bought a fucking samurai sword from the mall. Right. You know, like this, yeah. it was. And so that's a really good, that's a really awesome setup. I, you know, for what happens in the movie. So yeah, yeah well, that was the first thing when, when he told me, you know, that he had this dream and the, the head cut off. I was like, well, you'd have to really know what you were doing to cut somebody's head off with a samurai sword. Like, it's like, you can't just do that. It's not a lightsaber. And uh, I think that sort of, he was really taken by that. And, and that, 
speaks to a lot of the thing of like, okay, you got these fanciful stuff, but like sort of the, the reality of these things and people messing with something that they don't, um, they don't know how to wield this thing. You know, they're not doing it properly. Right. Uh, and so just stumbling upon an item uh, and in your, you know, adolescent confusion, mis misusing it. Um, <laughs> this is this maybe a story I shouldn't tell. But it's a funny story. <laughs> so, um, it's my friend Scott, who is my friend from Illinois that I that I talked about. That was my buddy that we'd hang out all the time. We lived right across the street from the high school, and one day we were over in the playground at the or the elementary school rather. So there's like you know a big elementary school parking lot, and there's a playground there, and we live right next door. So we're occasionally just you know just go over to the school and play. You know we play in the parking lot, we play in the uh, in the playground, and that stuff. And one time we. <laughs> We found like this like foam on the brick walls of the school. And we're like, what is this like weird foam? Like uh, um they're like soap bubbles that had like hardened. And it's like, okay. oh, it's like, oh, it's crusty, it's sticky. What is this? And we eventually found this this well, we eventually found a condom uh that was a used condom that was full of frothed up semen. Oh my and god. And what we'd been finding was the remnants of this and we oh look it came from this thing we had no idea what it was yeah so it's like two eight-year-old kids we pick this thing up it's like what is all oh, the what is we were calling it atomic spit and it's like what oh, this this full oh this God. atomic spit and we come home and we show our parents and our parents are absolutely mortified because the two kids come home holding a used condom like i'm sticking my fingers in like look at what we found what is this thing oh my, god. Like, oh my god go wash your hands flush that immediately <laughs> it's fucking terrifying in hindsight like i'm you know now i have children just imagining this. yeah but it was just here's an artifact of adulthood left behind that children stumble upon and you know put themselves in danger like i was you know thank god i don't have some sort of horrible sexually transmitted disease from dude it's possible i mean yeah. i mean it could have been possible is what i yeah, mean exactly. yeah exactly yeah. yeah 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 so i don't know that's a weird that's a weird story to tell but that's my i mean that kind of that kind of shit happens but that so that story kind of like uh influenced your uh what do you call it Re revising of this draft he wrote or what well i think for both of us and, and honestly i think for everybody involved from the you know set dressers and you know the sound designers and everybody was really wanting to pull from their own experiences okay. and that was why yeah you because know, it's set in the 90s but that it wasn't like we set out like hey we should make a movie set in the 90s it was just like if we're going to write a movie about teenagers i don't even remember when the decision was made but we just sort of fell into the idea of i know we didn't want cell phones you know, and I yeah. think we, uh, there was probably some consciousness of we didn't want it to be in a post Columbine world because that's when things kind of changed yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, how we look at, you know, violence committed by these sort of average, you know, uh, people in you know the middle of the country. Um, but it was a lot of just like, well, how could we could just be more honest? with the details and the texture of it, if we're describing our own world and including our own memories, rather than trying to look at the youth of today and be like, well, how do they talk and what do they do and what's their experience yeah. like? Yeah. It, it's going to ring a little bit false, but I think people, you know, student, uh, high school students and kids today who watch the movie will still be able to relate and recognize the struggles. But in terms of like sort of the details and texture of the world, that can be specific and that it's going to feel more real if we just kind of talk about ourselves. So I think for everybody, we were all putting in 
there's so many high school stories. Like even it's it's sort of a weird um, example, but the there's there's a scene when they're they're walking through the uh, they're walking by the school, the two kids, and this 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 older kid just shouts them like you know, hey, hey, have you seen my cunt? And uh, it's like, it's like this horrible phrase. It's like, I would never write something like that. I only put that in script because it's something that happened to me and my friend Will as we were walking by the school parking lot and some drunk guy that we knew was shouting that. And then my response is the same as in the movie. It was like, what? What are you talking about? Who is this person? Um, you know, so th just, but that level of detail of like, well, this is a thing that happened to me, you know? Um, I'm trying to think of a lot. There's a lot of there's like little things just the backpack, the fact that one of the characters doesn't use his locker. He just has all his books oh, in a yeah. giant backpack. He's like, dude, yeah. use your lockers. Like, That's no, good. I, there was like, always that kid. Yeah. Yes. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I got to jam my locker so I don't have to stress out about using the code correctly, you know? Right, right, Or right. I'll just have all six of my giant textbooks in my backpack giving me scoliosis because I don't want to have to deal with doing that. So just... All these little memories, bagel bites, you know, everybody right. was bringing their own shit to it. Um, I mean, you had that scene where they're all hanging out in the room with the fucking uh, playing Twisted Metal 1 on PlayStation <laughs> yeah. 1. Yeah. I mean, that, that scene was really, you know, that felt very real to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, the caffeine-free Coke. That was definitely a real thing from my friend Will's Oh, house. yes, 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 yes. That was great, too, man. grandparents would buy the Coke for the family for some reason. Like, they would always, you know, the grandma would bring the Coke over, but they didn't want him to have <laughs> the caffeine. So just yeah. in the closet, there'd be caffeine-free Coke. It's like, for me, it's like, look, I got real Coke in the fridge. Like, this right, is right, right. roll. So going over to somebody else's house and they have, like, the closet caffeine-free Coke is always like, what is happening here? <laughs> But did uh did Sony ever come back at you for or or the production for having that footage in the movie for for Twisted Metal? Uh, I th I'm sure they licensed that particular game because I mean, we we just had it that it was a game. I think we always knew you know it needed to be period accurate. Yeah, but I think they had to sort of okay what the game was going to be. Okay. The big thing was the music. We you know okay. there was a lot of songs that Kevin Phillips wanted in the movie, and I know for the longest time we had at the there's a party scene where the kids almost kiss. Like he comes out of the party and she follows him and they have this little conversation about the cast. They bump foreheads. And it was, I love you always forever was the temp track that okay. played for the longest time. And I got so attached to it because I was like, yeah, the, the songs that's the problem with, and I like some of these things, but stuff like stranger things where there's like these needle drops that are always like the biggest hits of the era. And it's like, yeah. your first kiss probably didn't take place to a song that you would actually like and curate on your mix CD. It would be some innocuous bullshit that was on the radio that now has this resonance for you. So it's like, yeah, right. I love you always forever. It was just like playing all the time right? when I was growing up and going to high school in the 90s. So that, that would be that kind of song. Um, and ultimately, we had it. Uh, the song standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand by primitive radio gods. Yeah. Which was on the cable guy soundtrack. Yeah. I was pretty okay with that too. That's <laughs> another right. prime example of just nineties ephemera that, you know, that's what it would be. It wouldn't be your, your perfect mixtape. It would be something right. kind of random and strange. Do you think that like after stranger things and all this, you think that in the Goldbergs, the eighties have kind of had their day and then we're going to see, a lot more stuff like super dark times where it's all nineties based, especially since 
Uh, well, yeah. you said you're, you're 38, right? So yeah. like once, especially by the time we're all in our forties ish, I think that it's like the Duffer brothers are probably 40 now. Right. So they're, they're, I, I they're showing like the off Duffer their generation. brothers are actually younger than me, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. Cause there's, there's a little bit of like, you know, folding my arms to things like you guys don't even know, like you weren't even there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the eighties. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'd, I'd have to double check, but I think they're my age or even a bit younger, like closer to your age or Ben's age. Um, okay. That's crazy, man. Well, I, I mean, wrong. do you think that the '90s are going to be more of a? You're going to see that trend I think so. more. Like, I haven't watched that show, Pen Fifteen. I think it's a Hulu show about a couple uh -huh. of girls. I believe that's a '90s set show, and I think there was another one. So I think it's already kind of started. Yeah, um, right. We just kind of lucked into the whole thing of like it. Sort of feels like by the time Super Dark Times came out, it felt like a comment on the the kids on bikes subgenre. Yeah, which right, right. Was totally an accident like that those like stranger things hadn't come out you know it hadn't come out when when we were writing it and doing it we were just i guess you know pulling from the same well and being inspired by the same things of like oh yeah it should be like goonies or the original it or whatever i mean kids on bikes it's kind of a you know i mean as you're saying it's a horror movie with a bunch of kids riding their bikes in a, in a neighborhood but still it's like i guess it, yeah it's fortunate for you but it's you know very common trope or whatever yeah it's just becoming a thing but you know i think we lucked out and that we got to be like the the dark deconstruction of that i'd be like okay you have the nostalgia <laughs> but what are you really nostalgic for and that you know that there's this sort of dark underbelly running through ours where it isn't all fun and games and the, the nostalgia doesn't take you know a front seat to the pleasure of the experience in fact you know in some ways it hopefully is making it slightly uncomfortable because it is oh this feels like where i grew up but with stuff like this going on when I, you know, in the place I grew up, like it, it kind of infects the nostalgia fun with this, with this darkness. Hey everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into, or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. -O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European. Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. I mean, was that inspired by... I mean, we're going to uh, maybe spoil a little bit more of Super Dark Time. So if That's, you haven't seen it, go see it. <laughs> yeah. This has been your warning, okay? It's on Netflix. You it's can on Netflix. It. Stop this podcast. Go see it and then resume. But, okay, so th there's been your warning, all right? Yeah. Um, all right, so whenever the, 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 the ending scene where he's really killing those people, uh, mm -hmm. was that inspired just by horror movies? Or did you have any kind of uh, personal, I mean... 
Were you somebody at your school or any kind of like dark stuff like that happening in your no, personal we didn't, life? We didn't have a whole lot of that. And, you know, Ben might have some slightly different stories, but I think by and large, we both had pretty similar and fairly, you know, decent, you know, shelter. I don't want to say sheltered upbringings, but, you know, we, we didn't have violence per se. I think yeah. everybody has darkness. And I think I was, see, Columbine happened... It was either my senior year, I think it was my senior year, um, or right after I graduated. I think it was in ninety nine. So Ben would have been, you know, like a freshman or something. So early high school, and that watching. I don't even know if people. <laughs> there's been so many school shootings since then. Like I don't even know if people know what Columbine is anymore. But it was. Kind I of hope one of they the, do. I mean, one of the first young. really shocking school shootings where a couple of guys put on some black trench coats and, you know, came into the school and shot everybody up. And, um, it really, it, it changed a lot for us. And like, so it's an, you know, an innocence shattered moment for our generation. Um, and I, th I think Ben had experienced like, you know, as you know, somebody's cousin or knew somebody that had sort of been involved either in that or some other, um, school violence thing and so it was like it was always around like around the corners like just on the edges of things and it never hit us personally so so in terms of the specifics of the the severity of the violence isn't based on anything that we went through necessarily um but it does sound like it's resonated with a lot of people who have and i definitely know people who had some dark shit you know happen around them in high school but Teen teenagers are fucking psychopaths on most yeah. of them and kids are in general, I think. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, for me, yeah, it was, there was definitely like a lot of like a loss of innocence thing and like school was supposed to be the safe spot. Even though, even if you were a nerd getting beat up, at least you weren't getting shot in the fucking face. Right. You know? And then, and yeah. so if that changed a lot and then like my school also made it to where we couldn't bring um, regular backpacks anymore. We had mm. to have a mesh backpack or a clear right. plastic one. So you could see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was like a major change for us. And, you know, it was just like all kinds of shit like that. And like my school, I don't know what it was. My, like we, it, to me, when I was a kid, it didn't feel a hundred percent safe, but looking back on it, nothing ever happened there. Right. So <laughs> it's just like, maybe I was just like hormonal or something. And just like, I don't know. I just. I yeah. thought that that place was going to be the next place to get shot up, but it nothing ever fucking happened. Yeah, so thank God. But yeah, yeah I think, and, and just for us, you know, I think some does come from, from horror movies and, and I know for me personally, I'm always looking for, there's sort of the take the genre out of it. And what is the story? And, and I, I never want that to be like the genre doesn't matter or that, you know, that's, that it's irrelevant or tacked on at the end. But I always want to be like, what, is, what, real story is the genre telling. And so in right. high school, when you're growing apart from a friend, say you see them sort of going places you don't want to go, um, it can feel super stressful, you know, and it can feel like a betrayal. And in high school, everybody's trying to figure out who they are. So if you had this friend that you grew up with since, you know, elementary school or middle school or whatever, and then you're becoming adults together, but you're having to sort of, you can't be the same person anymore. You have to be two people. And so the emotions of that divide can feel very heightened. Um, right. And it's like, okay, well, what if we did that? The emotions of growing up, the emotions of watching your friend grow up, the emotions of having a crush on a person or having a crush on the same girl. And like, so all this stuff and how do we amplify that with a genre lens? And it's like, oh, okay. So it's, 
this event happens that's horrific and how does that you know kind of serve as a catalyst for really ramping up that divide and really ramping up the horror of watching somebody spiral into something dark so yeah it just it becomes a genre story about a murder and it you know has all this you know it becomes this an amblin movie that turns into silence of the lambs but at the end of the day the emotions are are still relatable and and so even though i'm not pulling on anything specifically in terms of the level of violence but the heightened emotions of high school are hopefully there and ring true and then we can just have fun genre stuff on top of it um quote unquote fun <laughs> <laughs> and and that kind of propelled you to that was definitely a good step for where you are now in terms of career wise yeah career wise yeah it certainly didn't hurt. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> it's our best received movie. Um, and I think, you know, it's obviously it, it really did a lot for Kevin to have that first feature and to have it be so good and opened up a lot of doors for him and changed everybody's perception of him, which is fantastic. Uh, and he's going to go on to do great things. And hopefully we go on to do some great things together again and we're, we're working towards that. Um, but yeah, I think it changed the perception of us uh ben and i and nice. writing for sure yeah every every little bit helps every every step can you uh, talk about anything at all about what you're working on now um i mean some stuff's been announced in trades so i feel like any of that i can't i know there's you know there's a movie called the night house that just finished shooting that's in post right now that we did with david bruckner who is the director of The Ritual on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And uh, stars Rebecca Hall from the movie Christine and uh, Vicky Christina Barcelona. And uh, she's an incredible actress. And I don't think the rest of the cast has been announced, but that's been filmed. And that was a passion project of ours. That was definitely as we were, you know, writing things in the studio system. Uh Ben and I wanting to get back to, I think this was like way back in 2014, but we, you know, chasing a lot of assignment jobs and deciding for ourselves, Hey, let's just get back to trying to scare each other again. And let's write a <laughs> script that, that isn't, you know, the more formulaic got to have five jump scares by page 12, you know, or by page 10 or by Is page that what five. they say? They, they want you to have five. Uh, no, I, I'm just pulling that number out of my, okay. out of my ass, but, but there is definitely, man. you got to have scares, oh, scares. And what are the scares going to be? And when are the scares going to land? And how, you know, it's, it's, it's a much more calculated thing, you know, when you're, when okay. you're doing that. And we kind of wanted to go back to, can we do something a little bit more elegant? That's a little bit more driven by dread and less by jump scares or, you know, set pieces and, you know, that kind of thing. It was just wanted to get back to the purity of like just trying to scare each other, which is how we kind of started. Um, and we wrote the script that was marketplace. Wasn't really ready. You know, there was no, uh, hereditary, you know, there was no get out there. The, the horror movies were, you know, and, and they're good, but you know, it was like, what's the next Blumhouse movie? What's the next sinister and insidious, you know, that we can do. Oh, yeah. And my company and, works with Blumhouse. Yeah. Quite often. And, and some of those movies are fantastic, but it's, you know, that's a specific type of movie. And it was like, can, yeah. we, can we, we're always trying to think and sometimes to our detriment, like ahead of the game. It's like, okay, if this is happening now, what's going to be the thing, two things from now? Because by the time the movie gets made, that's going to be passe. You know, like we showed up and it was all found footage. It's like, okay, how can we do a super low budget movie that's not found footage? Because everyone's going to be doing it because we, you know, uh, Paranormal just hit 
when we were kind of oh, entering right. Hollywood. And that was like kind of a horror renaissance going on. Yeah, well, it always comes in these waves, you know, whether that's, okay, torture porn is happening because Saw is hit. So it's all these torturous sort of puzzly movies, you know, okay, uh, paranormal hits. So it's all going to be found footage movies, you know, okay, uh, insidious hits. So it's all going to be these like set in a house in Burbank, like super cheap ghost movies, <laughs> you know, <coughs> and there, there's um, um, incredible examples in all of these genres, but then you get all of these you know, copycats and you get, you just end up with, this is what it is right now. We're in an interesting space now where there's, there's not really anything. I mean, I think the conjuring really helped, uh, spend more money again. Uh, but now it's all a lot of period stuff and antique dolls and things, you know, so it, even that sort of becomes, it stagnates and then you kind of need to think two steps ahead. Can so. you feel trends like you get producers saying, hey, can you write this? Can you write this? Do you have like 12 producers come by and ask you the same shit? Is that how you <laughs> feel, feel trends? Um, yeah, the thing with a lot of that is it's it's whatever made money last weekend. I do find. I don't I don't think there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of forward thinkers out yes. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, like those are the one in a million producers and executives. And those are the, you know, those are the great folks that can kind of see the potential in they can see into the future and not just look into the past. There's, there's right. know, a number of meetings that you go into and it's like, Hey, I listened to this podcast last weekend. Can we make the movie more like that? <laughs> you know? Well, no one uh, can ever like really predict all too well. I mean, if you were to say in 2007, Hey, that Iron Man movie coming out next year, yeah. that's yeah. going to be the biggest shit of all fucking time. It's so and people would be though. like, that's not Spider-Man. You're a fucking liar. And mm -hmm. you know, cut to now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's insane. Like, no, if people well, do, we've it's had, a hard we've time had meetings to predict for sure. And it was like, well, we're looking for the next paranormal activity, and we're like, cool. Just so you know, you are aware that the next paranormal activity is not going to look anything like paranormal activity, because right. when paranormal activity hit, it was like, what the fuck is this? You know, I mean, it was Blair Witch Project, but still, it was like, whatever the next thing is going to be you're it's not you have to be the person who can recognize it because it's not going to look like the last big thing that's why it's going to be the next big thing is because it's going to be so new you have to you know you got to take that chance and nobody wants to take a chance because it's expensive as hell i get it but uh, yeah you know. a lot of money a lot of investors going on i think and this is probably going to be who knows what i know i probably don't know anything but it'll ride on the coattails of superheroes for sure but i think that the tokusatsu stuff mm -hmm. like and i know you're an ultraman fan i am common, an ultraman fan common rider power rangers are going to lead the charge probably oh, but man, i wish but you know what i mean like if hasbro does anything really great with it like i think that we're going to see a little bit more of that i would like to think that that's going to be another trend that we see I we got hope so Netflix i mean specials and shit coming out you know yeah i mean that that would be a dream in some ways uh, my feelings on all of this are kind of complex, but it is weird because Ben and I have been there. You know, Pacific Rim was coming out, and it was like, oh shit! Like Ben and I were like, you know, Ben and I are both fans of. I'm I'm a little bit more of the you know the otaku or whatever. I'm a, I'm more of the nerd. Yeah. Uh, but but Ben is into all this shit too. So we saw, and I'm a huge Evangelion fan. So we saw Pacific Rim coming. I was like, oh my god, this is going to be huge. How can we write a script that's going to ride that wave? Because this is going to be it. It's finally going to hit Hollywood and people are going to understand 
you know, we're not making the Dragon Ball movie, <laughs> which takes right, place right, in like right. modern day high school. <laughs> like Goku's just the, like the ridiculous original Dragon Ball movie where it's like, it has to look it's like, oh, like, all the ideas, all the creativity of anime and manga and Togusatsu, like, oh, it's going to blow up. And then Pacific Rim didn't really connect with American audiences. Like it, it did okay. And it did it's good, huge in, good China. in China for them to do the sequel. Yeah. And then the sequel comes out and then that doesn't do very great. And then, you know, even Godzilla King of the Monsters. Like I was super pumped. Like, okay, we got the Toho monsters in there. Like, okay, everybody's going to show up for this. Okay. Everybody seems excited. This is going to happen. And the box office wasn't, wasn't great. And so I, we kind of keep on running up to these things where I think this is going to be the moment where some of that stuff is going to break. It's going to hit eventually. There will be something to come out. I don't know what it is. Maybe Marvel's Shang-Chi will also be some sort of step towards That'll this be cool, thing, know. whatever it is. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think that's, it's going to come. It's going to, maybe it'll be like Marvel's time, Japanese Spider-Man on I'm Netflix special or something. How much, you know, the innate, you know, Japanese-ness say of something like even Godzilla. Like I enjoy the American Godzilla movies quite a bit. I'm happy to see them, but you know, King of the Monsters is an American monster movie, you know, and it yeah, kind of, yeah. it's it's different from, say, Shin Godzilla, which is in, innately Japanese. And I know I, part of what attracts me to a lot of these properties is that it's sort of devoid of the culture that I live in every day. It's, That's true. These are these true. artifacts from another world. And so I do wonder what, yeah. you know, I love Tokusatsu, but part of why I love it is because it's it isn't, it isn't on the CW, you know, and I watch CW superhero shows too. And I love all that, but it's like, you know, at what point does the, the, the soul of the thing get killed if it were to become, you know, marvelized, for example. Well, in the case of Godzilla, it's like, it's been sort of political slash just like, I don't know if you call it philosophical, but you know, like the whole, mm -hmm. it's a radiation force destroying a city that has all these like really deep themes that have something to do directly with Japan and their history. But if you were to do something like that here, people would say you're over politicizing Godzilla. <laughs> uh -huh. It's like, so all, so the stories, all, the, the human story always falls flat and the, and the message of the film, the power of the original Godzilla, you, they just can't translate that because of cultural and historical reasons. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's some way they could do it with either commenting on like people in white house in the white house or whatever, talking uh, like environmentalist policies or something. There is mm -hmm. some way you can do this Godzilla movie. And yes, it would be politicized, but that would still kind of harness the original. Sure. You know, energy of that first film and make it a message for Americans in general or, or whatever. Like there's something there, but they just won't do it because and they try. I mean, you there's know. definitely an environmental message in King of the Monsters, but you know, something like Shin Godzilla is a full-on political like farce. Yes, 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 yes. Um, which is a very different thing. And you know, there's there's room in my heart for all kinds of gods. You know, I like Godzilla versus Megalon, which is like the, yeah, the, yeah. the dumbest you could possibly get. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I I, wor I wonder how the the box office performance of King of the Monsters, what does that mean for something like Ultraman? Because I know Subaraya Productions, who's, you know, Edgy Subaraya is the special effects master who did the original Godzilla and created Ultraman and all those shows. And, you know, so their corporation is making a big push to do Ultraman in an international way. And so I'm curious what that's going to look like. But I do wonder what its chances are for 
being a big budget movie here and you know, cause that's a character that's even less known and beloved. Like Godzilla, you know, fucking grandma in Missouri, like she's she knows who Godzilla is. But you know, Ultraman awareness and affection for something like that, or you know Power well, Rangers is interesting because everybody does basically. know Power Rangers, but yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So that whatever Saban really tapped into it, and it did take him years too. He had some pilot in 1984 with some of with the Japanese season before that, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much filmed or you know had it in the can and ready to go, and it didn't hit. So oh really? He waited. He, so he, he had tried to bring it over in the 80s totally tried and it just uh. did not happen and then they try it again and what was lucky too that year was jurassic park just hit and their dino their zords were dinosaurs uh-huh uh -huh. so that was at least part of part of what it was but i guess it's just it's cultural trends marketing trends and all that like i wonder about today like I don't know what kids would like today. I mean, I would never have thought Minecraft would be anything near big. <laughs> you know, like I don't oh my know. God. Uh, yeah, I, know? Have two, I have two kids, and that it is such a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Minecraft is the thing that. Will hit. you please go back to your male power fantasy of punching things? What are yeah. the building stuff? <laughs> no, I, mean, I can watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just I don't know. I've, it's just weird to me. But um, you're you're a huge Ultraman fan, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Ultraman fan, and pretty pretty late in life, and I got to to that through Godzilla. Okay, um, and it was sort of yeah, in some ways through my kids because I I decided I was taking Japanese classes, and and I don't know why at some point I just decided because I grew up with Godzilla for sure, but had only seen you know whichever ones you could get here and there, you know, gone through phases, and I had a couple of VHS tapes and had rented some, but you know you when you become an adult and <laughs> if you're an arrested development kind of adult like me, it's like, okay, now I have income and I have yeah. the internet and I have a car. I can, I was suddenly like, Oh shit. All that stuff that I wanted as a kid. Like I, I definitely remember when I realized like, <laughs> oh, I could try and I could try and read all of X-Men now. I'm like, I could, <laughs> I could maybe do that. Like I have money to spend on comics. I could do, you know? Uh, and so it was like, oh, I should watch all the Godzilla movies. It's like, how many Godzilla movies are there? I think I'm a like grown 20, ass man. 24. I, fuck I want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So what am I going to do? What the fuck do I want to do? Just go watch every Godzilla movie ever made. So I'm going to buy know. that fucking Ninja Turtle off eBay right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I did all that and I watched all the Godzillas and got really into that and found out that in Chicago, you know, in my old, uh, I don't, it's not really my hometown because like I said, I didn't live there, but like going back to Chicago always feels like a homecoming for me because it's, you know, where my childhood was, was in the Midwest. There's a, a, a fan convention they just actually just ended this year um they just did their one their weekend thing it's called g fest which is like the oh, big godzilla fan festival yeah so we've been several times and when you've got a young kid you know they can start watching godzilla too and so eventually i you know we went a couple times to g fest and if you're at g fest there's ultraman stuff and it was somehow through this i think like Shout Factory or somebody put out the DVDs for Ultraman 2 and I just saw the DVD set that was like, oh, $6 for the entire fucking original Ultraman series. Like, oh, yes. I'll buy that. And so like watching it with my kid who was like super young at the time and then, okay, I just, I just wanted to watch more because <laughs> it's, it's sort of interesting in that it's like, because the Godzilla movies are, I love Godzilla. The movies are long. The movies drag in the middle. Uh, and with an Ultraman show, you're getting, you know, it's, 24 minutes you know it's a half hour long show 
and there's definitely a monster battle in each one and it's always a different monster. So it's like yeah. the stuff that I like best about Godzilla, Ultraman was providing in this much more bite-sized and entertaining format. And they have to keep on like kind of recreating, you know, doing something different with the story. So it so it's a, it just it hits the refresh button so much more than the Godzilla movies did. So while I really enjoyed watching all of those, through that it got me interested in Ultraman and I was sort of finding like, oh, I, in some ways kind of like this better like this is kind of more just hitting the pleasure <laughs> the pleasure center directly of like all the you know all the miniatures and you know all the the handcrafted effects is always just it's just so pleasing definitely more than like common rider or the japanese sentai super sentai series i would i would like to get into common rider i'm interested in in that one because that one seems to have you know, slightly more mature storytelling and, you know, martial arts stuff. Cause I'm also a huge, huge martial arts movie fan. Um, and I feel like that those aspects might be a little bit more present in there, but I haven't other than like, a, you know, like some of the standalone movies of common writer stuff. I haven't gotten too much into it, but yeah, there's one series that is really silly on the outside, but it's called common <laughs> writer Gime. It's sillier than uh -huh. usual. And well, there are, there's some very silly Ultraman, <laughs> yeah, but like the, his, all the armor and everything is uh, based on fruit. And <laughs> okay. so there's, it's, it's, it's just wild, but it's known to be one of the best written, one of the best common writer series around. And I have seen the first like 10 episodes or so. And at first I was like, you know, like when you watch a Japanese series, they're they're not that great at like explaining the whole premise at first. Mm -hmm. You they just like throw you right the fuck in. <laughs> sure. And and that's kind of how it was for me. So it was kind of like I didn't have my bearings at first, but but yeah. after after that, it was it was like oh, okay, I I can see why this is like a big deal, and I want I want to finish it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm currently going through Evangelion for the first time. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing, and this is this quote. I think it was it was Joss Whedon's brother of all people talking about, but it's, it's this quote that's resonated with me. I think he was talking about an album that he had made or something. But he said, whenever he drives through a small town, not only does he wonder what it would be like to live there, but he wonders what it would be like to have lived there for his entire life. Oh yeah, and it's a thing that I get too, and I think a lot of like, so, you know, why would a 38 year old man watch the Japanese television shows for children? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. But again, it's like this weird window of like, that this is a piece of popular culture. This is a whole world presented to me. So like, even like the kind of the broad Japanese comedy of it, I do find fascinating because it is a comedy that isn't of my world that I live in every day. So it's, it's, that's a transportive element of it too, you know? And so kind of getting into a mindset and a lifestyle that's that is not mine but then being tickled by it there's a, there's something really interesting and like sort of archaeological and culturally and maybe i'm just you know trying to make it sound more <laughs> like uh thoughtful than it is but i do get a kick out of watching these shows and sort of imagining like yeah there's some group of kids that are like playing this on a playground in japan somewhere and like they they, they have their favorite common writer they have their favorite ultraman and i think that that's super interesting and and at first there's a lot of you know in in plot and in just language and the, you know the timing and the editing is also alien to to you when you're watching it as an american but then when you start to kind of pick up on the patterns and you can start to okay the jokes are landing for me now because i understand that style of comedy um i don't know there's just something really fun about that to kind of like all pop culture i think especially for nerdy people it's about kind of mastering something 
mastering knowledge of the history of the Green Lantern or mastering knowledge of, you know, yes. the best John Woo movies. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. all the James Bond, I watched all the James Bond movies and a few years ago, I was like, let me, let me watch them all in order. You know, let me, let me gather them all and do the weird. I see what you you're know. saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like a re like pop culture research in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the weird uh, spectrum thing of like, let me, let me organize everything. So let me choose the favorites. Let me find the patterns. Let me, let me recognize the patterns in the thing. I, so, I went to, I played D and D this past week for the first time ever. Oh, just because nice. I wanted to just, I had never done it. And I just wanted, I mean, I was interested, but B it was kind of like pop culture research. I wanted to know what this was all about. And then I sure. do more in re research and I listened to another podcast called wizard and the bruiser and they had a D and D episode in their archive. So I listened to that and you know, other research. And it's just like Dungeons and Dragons has been at the forefront or the central core of almost every single nerd property in in america yeah since it came out i mean yeah. it's it's there's been some sort of it's dna is in everything it kind of feels like and now i now it's kind of cool for me to see that mm -hmm. yeah i mean just you know the desire to participate in storytelling um which we just consistently see from you know corners of fandom and whatever it is, is I want to somehow participate. I want to be a part of a world that is be better than this broken world that we actually live in. <laughs> uh, how do I, I think, escape? I mean, even if you are too old for it, I think that, I mean, I feel this way a lot too. I mean, anytime you watch any superhero thing or whatever, it's just like, well, okay, even if I am too old for it, I still just, A, I just like it. B, mm -hmm. uh, I can judge this from an adult perspective as well, where I can... I mean, I'm not a writer, but I like to pick apart the writing and the pacing and sure. this and that. And, you know, even though it's made for children, I mean, you can, I mean, adults make children's books. Adults make children's properties. Adults sure. do Adults yeah, yeah. do this. Yeah. So if you look at it from that perspective, I think it's, I guess you could say a healthy adult perspective in approaching, you know, this, these, these properties that are mainly for children, you know? Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Yeah, I didn't any any. Yeah, you can you can use any content. You can put any amount of you know, intellectual endeavor. <laughs> you can apply it to so many different things. You know, I again, I study British literature, so you know, I, I definitely I remember one year. I you know, it was my birthday, and it's like I got the BBC Hollow Crown, like <laughs> Shakespeare play, like thing of like, oh yeah, it's uh all these great British actors like doing all the, the, the Henry ad like uh, Shakespeare plays. And then I also got the box set of final destination, like one through five. Uh, right, right, like, right, okay, right. These are the, these are the two, you know, halves of me that I want to consume these things. And, you know, to me, they're equally, well, maybe not, I, I, I'm not the biggest final destination fan in the world, but you know, they, they can be stimulating uh, in similar ways. Uh, I just yeah, it's like good to, to like all story. kinds of shit. I think yeah. I was trading off Chernobyl episodes with Dragon Ball Z episodes yeah. two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it's just it's just how it goes. Um, do you have any um, recommendations for ultra people getting into Ultraman? I mean, Mill Creek just announced that they pretty much have the license to everything, and they're going to start putting it out. So for me, you know, I. Where I started, and it's still my favorite one, is the original Ultraman series from the '60s. And Mill yeah. Creek is about to put it out on Blu-ray and DVD in a in a relative. You can pre-order it now in a, in a relatively uh, inexpensive 
box set where it's been remastered and everything, and I'm super pumped about that. I think the original Ultraman is just, if you can, you know, it's from the 60s, so it's an older show, but it, the direction in some of these shows, especially towards the end of the original Ultraman, uh, it legit feels like like a Wes Anderson movie. Like the, the attention to uh, composition on screen the yeah. use of color, like the, yeah. the original Ultraman Science Patrols and like orange suits with ties and rounded helmets. It's this this real fastidious sort of costume design where these colors are really popping and they'll center the frames where it's like, okay, the car is an overhead shot and here's the car perfectly centered on a gravel driveway driving right. up to this building or like here's the map and it's the shot through the clear map as they're riding on it. And it's just the, the level of attention to that is so interesting and fun and it feels really swinging and cool. And so the original Ultraman series is just a lot of fun and you get, you know, new monsters every every week and the, the inventiveness of how do we get a guy in a suit to somehow read differently on screen. It's like well, G-Ross episode. Holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I think there's one one that's Jamila that's like super tall. Um, there's one eventually that's like a like a two it's two people in like starfish costumes like side by side making the wings <laughs> of a giant that. bat i and, love that yeah it's so it's so cool and so so that one for sure and then for more modern series um ultraman mabius was one of my favorite ones that it played more like an anime it felt like a live yeah. action anime where they even like sometimes do like the uh, like the anime like sweat drop when people are stressed out. Oh, really? And so there's like some fun like visual effects and broad comedy. And then uh, Ultraman Max had a couple of episodes directed by Takashi Miike. Really? Who, yeah, you know he Holy did audition shit. and yeah. So there's two episodes that he directed and they're both obviously Mike episodes like as you can Holy tell shit ultraman max i'm gonna look ultraman max and ultraman max is cool because it's it's its own continuity it's kind of its own starting at the beginning you don't need any other knowledge from any other shows because that's the thing with ultraman is it's so daunting is that okay what do i need to it's like comic books like what do i need to have read what do i need to have known beforehand? yes 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 and Max is kind of a re just it, it's outside of continuity so you can just watch that whenever and that's from early 2000s so the special effects are a little newer. I think it might be on Crunchyroll. It was streaming on Crunchyroll. Some nice. of them might be on Hulu. So they're they're around, and there's definitely legal ways to watch some of these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, man. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's sort of an all over the place conversation, and uh, maybe I oh. shared more than I should have, <laughs> but about a lot of things. But. My goal was to talk mainly about Super Dark Times and Ultraman. So I think we did it. We did. <laughs> um, any final thoughts before you head out of here? Any um, like? Well, no. Help? Now I want to somehow combine those two things and do like a, uh, you know, what happens if a sociopathic teenager finds a, a beta capsule, you know, and, to, and gets Ultraman powers. Well, you that, see that that that's another way, like to do it like Chronicle, but with Tokusatsu type of shit, right? Like, well, even Chronicle is just Akira in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean that's it, right? So. I mean, you know me, like my my dream, I don't even know if I should be putting this out here, out there, but to have like an R-rated Power Rangers type of thing. <laughs> um, and But as soon as they Power Rangers, people like shudder. But I mean, look, I'm just saying have the colorful suits, but make them mostly black and put them in like, okay, there's a series called Kamen Rider Black. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Kamen Rider Amazon, actually. Okay. Kamen Rider Black is another one that's pretty dark yeah, I too. I might have seen some of that one. But Comrade Amazon is essentially rated R. 
uh, it's a Tokusatsu mm. show, and it's recent too. It's on Amazon Prime. Okay. They called yeah yeah, and um, look that up. Oh, I think it's called Amazon Writers in America. Anyway, okay, that's a good example of taking that kind of property and making it darker. But I would go even darker than that, actually. Uh, mm. You know, really like hard R. Well, uh, anime's been able to uh, do that. I mean, that's what Evangelion is, right? I mean, Evangelion yes. is is Gundam and you know giant robot shows, but the dark side that gets really psychological about okay, what is the what is the emotional toll of people who have to do this? Um, Dude, I'd love to see a you know Tokusatsu Sentai kind of show delve into some of that for sure. That would be incredible. I mean. Uh, that's my dream. That's my dream project. Uh, we, yeah, definitely. That that was a pilot that Ben and I wrote, a TV pilot that was very much trying to trying to do that, trying to do the Evangelion version of like um, the Giver or something. And uh, it was one of those things where we showed it to people, and everybody's like, "What the hell is this? Can, can we can we do a version that's more like government? You know, can we do something that's like more American?" And it's like, "No, it's we want mental mental spaces and we want you know a bioorganic suit and we want crystals that power you know we want monsters and you know it just blank faces all around oh my god it sounds fucking incredible yeah. man we're we're working from the inside you know it just i just yeah it's my plan is you know if, if i ever amass any sort of power to uh, to blow it and <laughs> try to, <laughs> to incorporate some of this stuff into to whatever we do it's fucking poised to 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 make it big there just needs to be that initial power rangers meets iron man 2008 like it there there's going to be some sort of watershed moment with that stuff i think anyway dude thanks for coming on and uh you have any uh thing you want to plug hmm no, I mean the night house is going to come out at some point. <laughs> you know, okay. prob- probably twenty twenty. So it's, we've probably got a long ways to go. Um, you know, we have a movie called Siren that I think is a is a fun movie that nobody sees because it's not available for free on Netflix. You know, like Stephanie okay. and and Super Dark Times; those are just up on Netflix. But Siren, you still have to kind of rent. But uh, and it's a lower budget movie, but it's a really fun creature feature with some you know some practical effects and some fun ideas. Uh, that, you know, I wish more people would have watched when it came out, but uh, it's very different from Super Dark Times. Um, but that's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I am Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter, and thanks for always liking my shit on there, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram, and check out Superhouse Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all that good stuff. Oh yeah, and, sync ratios. You can plug that if anybody's yeah listening to the sync ratios podcast where Ben Collins and I are watching all of Evangelion, and I think we're right up to where you are on like episode nineteen. And every Friday we're posting our, you know, we try to do a deep dive. I try to do my my research <laughs> and shed some light on, you know, what all the psychological terms that get thrown at you and our personal connection to the show and characters, and you know, trying to decipher. <laughs> the intricate workings of the plot and the yeah. workings of the behind the scenes craziness that went into making that show. So if you, yeah, if you like Evangelion, definitely listen, listen to that. And I'm on Twitter as well. When I'm done with the first season, uh, I mean, I'd like to come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll talk to Ben about it and uh, see. I know Kevin Phillips has kind of like joined us as our third host for, for the last leg of episodes, but um, I'm looking to have you know some more guests. I think it I think it's fun when we have 
uh, some other perspectives on there. So yeah, for sure, I want to keep that in mind. And it might be one of the movies. It might be something like you know Shin Godzilla or some of the other you know uh, Cutie Honey. Have you seen Cutie Honey? I actually have not. I, I know about it though. Yeah, because that's a fun kind of overlap of Tokusatsui kind of stuff um, with the director of Evangelion, and uh, so it's his live action kind of superhero movie it's like super that fun. was a live action movie i thought that was like an anime well it is it's a manga and an anime but ano hideaki ano the director of uh evangelion did a live action movie of oh Kiri shit Honey. i did not know that yeah and it's it's fun if you're into common rider and you know ultraman and power rangers those kinds of things it's a transforming hero girl live okay. action movie that that has the ano touch and it's it's a blast okay yeah Cool. I haven't seen Phillips in since that screening of Super Dark Times in where was that? North Hollywood, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see him all too often. Um, all he's right, always, cool, dude. He's always out of town. But yeah. He's back for a little bit now. And we are on uh, Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com slash Superhouse Podcast. Please uh, donate a dollar if you can. And basically, that's it. This is Andrew signing off. Thanks for having me.